right where you are, would you just invite uh, the Lord to speak to you? Uh, I encourage you to tell him what you, what you need today. I think Jesus often comes and he says, what do you need? What do you want? What do you desire? Just lay those desires before him today. Tell him what you, what you need, what you want. Father, I pray as we open up your word today, God, you would illuminate to us, you would give us revelation into, God, the truth. And God, you would help us filter through everything that we see here and everything that we know here uh, and bring us into what you see and what you know. Because here's what your promise says, that what you desire for our life is our good and your glory. So God, help us to understand further what that even means for our life today. God, speak through your word. And God, I pray that you would remove this shell of a man up here and that you would speak beyond what my words can say. Holy Spirit, would you take over and would you speak to each heart in the room, mine included. And God, I pray that the word would read us today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, some super cool thing happened yesterday. And tell me, like, I could be in my own world, which I often am, but, like, yesterday was such a cool experience. I roll up. We had family pictures yesterday. Anybody like family pictures? Anybody still do those kind of things? Yeah, all the moms are, yeah, I love family pictures. We do family pictures now, you know? And so we did family pictures this morning, and, um, or yesterday morning, and we finish, and we go to Maple Street Biscuit Company, and we, everybody likes some Maple Street Biscuit. Like, it's just good. Uh, the gravy's awesome. And after, we, we're driving home, and I roll up to this intersection, and I pull up, and I look over, and it's a couple that goes to this church. And I roll down, I, I start waving, and then they wave, and they start rolling their window down, and they go, today, one year ago, you married us, and we're headed to the spot where we got married to celebrate our anniversary. And I was like, what are the odds? I'm telling you what, at 11 a.m. to roll up to the, to the same intersection in the city where I did the wedding for someone and they rolled down just to tell me we're celebrating one year from the day, the day you married us. See ya. And I'm like, yeah. We. But I mean, like, I, saw, I looked over at Shannon, I was like, what are the odds? I mean, at every intersection of Knoxville, you think about what had to happen for us to intersect at that moment in that space and time. Everything that had to happen, our, our order had to come out precisely at this moment. We had to leave pictures at the exact moment. We had to hit every traffic light that we hit in order to intersect at the exact moment. Anybody else? Like, is that just crazy? One year to the day for me to wave and say, man. And here's what I, here's what I started thinking. I said, you know, do you ever think that maybe God just does these things as reminders for us? That, hey guys, nothing is an accident. Not one single thing is by accident. I don't believe in coincidence. And you know how God further brought me into the truth? This is how good God is. Because I'm sitting in the car and I'm like, man, God, you're, you're amazing. Like, that's crazy. How could, how could that happen? And he said, Jay, it goes even further. Because here's the truth, here's the truth, because that is a truth, right? That makes that a big, awesome ordeal. Like, y'all, like, that's crazy. But here's the other truth that actually trumps that one that's even bigger. 
The truth is, the scripture says, that Christ lives in me. And do you know what that means? Everywhere I go, he has sent me. That means everywhere I go and every single person I talk to is not by chance encounter, but on purpose. In fact, God purposed me to meet every single person with the same intentionality, with the same awe, with the same, oh my goodness, can you believe God, with the same kind of thing, simply because the truth is Christ lives in me. Paul tells a young Timothy, he says, Timothy, don't neglect the gift that you were given. And what he was saying is, hey, don't forget the purpose that you were made for. Don't forget that the king of heaven, the spirit of God lives inside of you. Don't stop exercising according to who God called you. And oftentimes we, we miss the big moments or every single moment that is, not, uh, that is meant to be something like my intersection moment. Every single moment of our life is actually meant to be the moment where we go, Christ is in me and he sent me to every single person I'm talking to right now. It's the truth that is meant to filter everything in our life. And I want to say, I would submit to you and myself that oftentimes I step out of uh, the truth that Christ is in me and everything is that important. And I step looking, looking for intersection moments where I go, man, God is... God is huge. God is doing this. And I miss out on everything in between those big moments. And if you live life like that, looking for God to hit the big moment like that, we say big. And we don't think of every moment as big. And you'll find yourself living a schizophrenic Christian life. Because I haven't actually believed the truth. But the truth here would say, and, and we would all agree to it, the truth, the the circumstance that we hit one year to the day at the right intersection at the right time, that is amazing. That's a God moment. That's a truth, right? But the bigger truth is that Christ lives in me, so every moment is actually like that. That's what he's reminding me of today. And so that's what we're going to unpack today. If you remember the past couple weeks, we've been going through Romans. And uh, we're going to hit Romans 12 today, and we're going to talk about how that we are renewed or transformed by the reworking of our minds, the way we think. We've got to believe the right things. And oftentimes, we're believing truths that are subject to the main truth. And so if you've got your scripture with me today, I'm going to start in Romans 12, and I'm going to go one through three. Last week, we talked about the why and the what, and today we're talking about how. So how? How does Paul say that we're transformed by the reworking of our minds? You got it? Romans 12? You got it? Okay, okay. Hey, uh, we're going to have a conversation today. We're going to have some fun. So everybody loosen up. I know we've been at work or school and everything is really structured and everything has a, you sit in a row and you listen to the guy, but like, hey, you give me some feedback. We're going to have some fun in here. We're the community of Christ. Let's go. Anybody in? We in? Come on now. That's what I'm talking about. Have a little fun in church. Romans 12, 1 through 3, it says, I appeal to you, therefore. What's he appealing, therefore, from? Remember what he talked about in the first chapter. We brought the whole church back to the main idea, which is the good news. And so because of the good news of Christ, that grace was free, therefore, I appeal to you based upon that truth. So now, what am I calling you to? Because of that truth, brethren, that means brothers and sisters, family, people of God, by the mercies, that word is compassion or pities of God, 
It means he saw a great need and he met it. By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship. Because the good news is so wonderful, like it's only reasonable for us to bring our bodies before him and say, hey, take every bit of it, not a little bit of it. I want you to have all of it because you're that awesome. That's what he's saying. Verse number two, and be not conformed uh, to this world. That word is like an artist. Uh, you've seen an artist. They have a block of clay and they have this model over here and they begin to etch away according to the shape of that model and they start modeling that's exactly what this is talking about. So don't conform to the pattern. That word is system or the world works on a system. So don't look at the world and its system and then go, oh, that's how it works. So I'm going to model my life after how this is working. Now that how it's working looks very right, very true. It's oftentimes not a bad thing in our eyes. It's a good thing. But he says, don't model your life after that system. But be transformed. That word transformed is uh, transfigured. It actually means not something that you do from the outside, but what happens from the inside. So I'm going to be transfigured, or I'm going to be transformed from the inside out by the renewing of the way I think. It's like turning on a, a, a clean water faucet, and something brand new comes in that begins to clean everything out. So from the inside out. Renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. I love the King James Version because it explains this super well. When I uh, am operating in the truth of God, uh, we find out that God's truth for you is meant for your greatest good and his glory. And when that happens, you actually prove to yourself and to the world God's perfect will for your life. That it's actually a good thing. God doesn't want your demise he doesn't want your failing or falling. He actually wants good for your life and to put you on display to be this spotlight in a dark place. That's his intention for our life. And so when we step into the truth of who God called us and the truth of what he's called us in the spot that you, you live or work or whatever it is, um, then we actually prove his goodness and we prove what he's talking about. And the proof is in the outworking of our life. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Before I go further, I want to talk about what is the pattern of the world that it's talking about? What is this system of the world that he's actually speaking of? Don't conform to this system. The scripture in 1 John actually describes this system of the world. In 1 John 2, 15 through 17, he says, uh, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. That means they're temporary. They ain't staying forever. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. His work lasts. His work proves the test of time. He's saying it's worth it. 
So what is this? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I want to break that apart uh, as we start. The word lust is to burn with passion. It's like to have a burning desire within yourself to want something. You ever had that? There's actually a law against that uh, that that God put before the, the nation of Israel in Exodus 20. He says, don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet the, the servant girl or the servant boy that your neighbor has. Don't burn within you and say, if my life looked like theirs, I would be more complete. And he doesn't say this for your demise or because it's, he says it because it will ruin your life. It will actually mess you up. That's why the law is written. Stay away from this. It will ruin you. Don't burn with passion for what somebody else has. It will not complete you. It's so funny. Uh, my, my daughters, they uh, see me walking around with that giant like boot on my leg. If you can't tell, I'm walking with a limp. If you're new, I, I, had a, I tore my Achilles. It's terrible. And I wear this giant boot around my leg. And my girls every day as I walk around, they go, Daddy, we want one of those. I said, what, what do I say? Uh, no, you don't. <laughs> None of y'all want one of those. And everybody in the room, we laugh because we go, oh, nobody wants one of those. But you know what's so funny? It's like um, I'm a grown-up version of my six-year-old self, and my desires have been refined over time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't want a boot, but I got other things that I want. Anybody know? I sh I I'm the same little person in this body of mine, and I know that nobody, I don't want a boot, but there are some things that, the, that Jay really, really wants and is sometimes convinced that if he got them, that he would be complete. I would be fixed. I, would, I, would, I wouldn't feel tormented in this moment. I would feel better if I got this or that. Anybody ever, you got one of those right now? Anybody, I'm not going to ask you, but like we've got those things, and our palate has been refined because we know some things. And I find myself in the same circumstance year after year, and I get what my heart longs for, and I find myself in the same spot, and I go, wasn't what I thought it was. Shoot. And I go, I will never fall for that again, you know? And then I find myself going, if this could just change, my life would be better. If this would just happen, it would be better. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes. It's the same idea in Genesis when Eve looked at the fruit and it was pleasing to her eye. And she said, if I had that, I would be better off than I am today. Oh, it looks good. And it did look good. But it wasn't what she expected. John Calvin says it like this when he talks about the desires of the flesh. He says it's when worldly men desiring to live softly and delicately are intent only on their own convenience. When life is just existing to make my life a little bit more convenient. To make it a little bit softer, more palatable for me. And when I get it, my life is going to be better. That's what it's saying. The lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh are simply saying this, what we feel when we want it. It's what we feel when we're sure we want it. It's going to complete me. It's what Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire said to uh, Dorothy when he says, you complete me. Anybody seen that movie? You complete me. And he was, in the moment, I'm sure he looked in her eyes and he thought she would complete me. Anybody ever looked in someone's eyes and thought, you will complete me. I say this every week because it's like so true for all of us. And it ain't true. That's 
what we do in marriage class in here, everybody. You know what I'm saying? We all got to have some help. We all got to work through some things. They didn't complete me. What do I do? Now I got to work this thing out. And we find out what true love really is. It's a choice, man. Oh, yes. But it is a wonderful choice that we make that refines and changes our lives as we continue in the process that God called us to. As we step into number three, though, the pride of life. What does that say? So, the, so the, here's what the flesh is. The, eye, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. What we feel when we want it. So what does it say when it says the pride of life? That word is livelihood. And it's the same word used when um, Jesus is, is standing in the temple and in comes these people and they're giving all their gifts. And you've heard that it was a time in that, in that space, in that day, where people would bring a lot of change, like a lot of money, and they would clank, 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 and they wanted everyone to hear how much they were giving because the, certain people gave more than others. And according to what they gave was their merit in heaven and, and their merit in society. And people say, oh, that guy gives a lot every single week. Watch this. Oh, man. But then Jesus is watching and he sees a widow woman and it says brings the equivalent of something like two pennies. And the scripture says uh, that Jesus looked and he says, that woman gave more than anyone because she gave her entire livelihood. It's the same word that he uses because what he's saying is she gave her entire life. That means everything that she had. So what is this saying? Uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It's what we feel when we want it. And then it's what we feel when we got it. The pride of having livelihood. The pride of having what others don't have. And so we look down on, or we look maybe, I've been separated because I have this in my life. I am not like you. I'm a little bit different. I'm white. Or I'm black. Or I'm, put it in the blank or I'm wealthy, or I have just recently got the greatest new iPod. Is it iPod? It's not even an iPod. What did I say? iPad. That's what I got. Brand new iPad. I recently got the newest, the latest, the best. I'm on the winning team. I have done this. And we don't realize it, but it's a system that we all live on. Everything is pushed in our face that says, you get this, you be this. Everything, man, everything. And if you're not really, really careful, you begin to buy into the system. And you begin to conform your life based upon the system that we sit. Livelihood. Jesus talked about another way, the lust of the, or the pride of life, when he, when he talked in Luke 18, when he talked about two guys were in the temple. And he spoke about one guy standing before the people. And he said, when he stood up, he said he separated himself. And he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I thank you that I'm not like this, this robber over here and these evildoers and these adulterers. He says, I fast twice a week. This is in his prayer, by the way. He, who's he talking to? He's recounting everything that he's done. He's saying, I'm a big deal. I pray a lot and I fast twice a week. And if you think about it, what he did was he elevated himself even beyond what the scripture required of him. Because nowhere in the scripture does it talk about you got to fast twice a week. So what he's saying is, I'm great because I've done more than you've even said. And these people, if they could get to my level. But you know what? I, I want to stop here for a second. And we think that that's why, like, how could he? And how? But you think about it, like, this is a guy, seriously. 
It's true. He's super committed. I mean, that's a lot of prayer. If, that, if that's true, he's not like, th- th- there's some truth in it. He's not like those people. But what has set him apart? Jesus says, this guy doesn't go away justified, no matter what he's done. He's not even justified before God. But we forget, y'all, it might be true in his life. But Jesus ain't impressed with what he did. And you're like, yeah, Jay, get those legalists. We would never. I'm a legalistic people. Please, they drive me crazy. They don't know grace like I know grace. You know what I'm saying? Hold on, hold on. We quickly find ourselves on the one other side. We quickly find ourselves actually doing what he did. I have a better understanding of grace than you. You just get on my level, you know? And if you're not really, really careful, we do the exact same thing that this guy did and we're set apart and we have this pride of life arrogance about ourselves and we say, I am better because I know. I am better because I've been enlightened. I'm more. Oh no, friend, don't miss. Don't conform to the image and pattern of this world. That guy fell into the idea that he was more based upon what he did for God, not what God did for him. Man, it's so subtle. And yet it's in every single one of us. Don't be fooled. The world just says me, 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 me in every single area of life. From the evildoer to a religious context, which is also the evildoer, by the way. Every single aspect of this system is actually a prison. But Christ has set us free from this prison. So don't conform. Don't conform to the system, but here, be transformed. Be transfigured. And I've got this idea, and, and I can't, there's not a verse, but I think it's evident in the scripture of what it says. In, in, in Romans 1, it talks about um, that they no longer worshipped him nor served him as a creator, but worshipped and served creation. And uh, it says that God gave them over to the passions of their heart. And then it goes down a little bit further, and it says, then God gave them over uh, to a debased mind. He gave them over in two different ways. And I think the two things are interchangeable. They still work together. But there's a specific difference that Paul makes. He says he gives them over in a heart way and in a, in, a, in a mind way. And the scripture says when we come to Christ, he actually takes out our heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. That means he puts something alive in us. He transforms the passions. He transforms uh, our desire to actually understand and want or to know grace. Something alive happens. And my conviction based upon reading the scripture is that um, as believers, uh, we're still waging war. And the idea is he's transformed our hearts. He's replaced our heart. But our thinking has to catch up to our heart. That's why he says be transformed. That means continually renewed or transformed by the renewing of the way we think, by changing the way we think. So the changing of our thinking has to catch up to what God has done in our heart. And so Paul gives us the how. How are we transformed by the changing of the way that we think? 
And he says it in verse 3. If you read through these passages, you'll miss this so quickly if you don't really, really study and understand what he's talking about. But he says in verse 3, he says, For I say, here it is, Through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think, here it is, not to think like this. Don't think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly. That word is realistic. That means is don't get it twisted. Don't get, don't get high here and high here. Don't get low here. Be real. Be honest. And the truth is every single one of us fall into some aspect of the system. We kind of buy into it. We believe it. We've missed the mark at some place in our life. Every single one of us. Don't get it twisted. We're just as broken as each other. Did anybody know that? <laughs> Think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith, Here's the truths that I'm calling us to think. And here's what the scripture says. I'm not making this up. This is just what the Bible says. Number one, here's how we're going to transform the way we think. Here's how we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Think about self through the lens of grace. Think about yourself through the lens of grace. What he's saying is don't think highly of yourselves because you have nothing to do with the work of God. It's a free gift of God. Grace is the free gift of... Everybody say free. 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 That means you can't do nothing for it. That means there's no strings attached, by the way. There is none. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than every one of my sin. That means every bit of me. Because I've missed it in every single way. Look at yourself through the lens of grace. Romans 7.18 says, For I know that, that good itself does not dwell in me. This is Paul talking. I know that good doesn't even live in me. Anybody think good lives in you? Anybody in the room? I do sometimes. I'm better than you a lot of time. I am. I'll study a lot more than all y'all combined. Promise. I don't got as much time as I have to do this. I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. That is in my person. That's what he's saying. In my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. What he's saying is, if there's good in me, guess who's good? It's Christ, the Spirit of God in me. And so you know who I credit good? I don't credit Jay with good, I credit Christ with good. But the second we step out of saying, thank you God that you have done this good in me. The second I step away from admiring Christ, I've stepped into Romans 1, where I no longer worship and serve the Creator, or serve the creation. I step back out of the will of God and I start saying, I'm something to be praised. I'm a big deal. I'm doing way better now because I'm following better. I, I go to church all the time now. I bring my whole family. We're even doing devotions together. <laughs> the second I step into that thinking, I've stepped back into a system of the world that says self-praise, self-glory. It's all about me, 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 me. Step out of and realize what Paul was saying. Step away from yourselves 
and leave your dead body over there and come alive in Christ and start praising him for any good in you, it's Christ in you. And I want everybody, don't get it twisted. If you like anything about this person up here talking to you today, if you see anything good in me, it is Christ. And if you see anything bad, it is the flesh part of Jay, and I'm sorry, but I got it. You will discover this deeper as you walk in community. That's why I encourage you to get in life group. Get in life group, get in life group, because they need you and you need them. But you're not stepping in there to perfect you. You're stepping in there to be the manifestation of Jesus and to receive the grace of Jesus. And it transforms our life when we think like we should think. Number two, here's how we're going to think. Think about others through a lens of grace. Now, I can get to the place where I go, yep, I'm a mess. I need the grace of Christ. When there's good in me, it's Christ in me. Um, But when I project that to you now, and I want you to think about the people that you work with, I want you to think about the, the person you live with. And if there's good in them, guess who it is? Christ. And if you look at my life, let's say the pastor. You look at the pastor and you're like, man, I just want to be like him. If you've seen good in me, you've seen Christ. Let's stop idolizing people and idolize Christ. And many, many of our issues uh, revolve around wanting to be like other people instead of be like the good in those people, which is Christ. It's a subtle thing, but it's a massive shift. And another thing is actually giving grace that they deserve or that they don't deserve, but like they need. Because there is actually a sinful nature in that person that you live with today. And there's a sinful nature in your boss. And there's a sinful nature in, the, in your coworker, And there's a sinful nature in your classmates and your teacher. They've all got it. And so when you understand what they got and what they're operating from, then you can actually understand and not look down on them. But you go, my heart breaks for you because you just haven't yet surrendered to Christ. You've got some sin living in you and it's alive and well. And you haven't brought it under submission and obedience to Christ. You haven't let him cover you. And actually heal that wound of sin. You haven't yet done that. And instead of looking down and being like, man, I can't stand that person. Like, they just can't get it right. You know what I mean? Instead of that, it's like, I'm broken for you because I, I, I've experienced, I understand where you are. And you give them what they never deserved. The grace of God. Everyone's fallen. But this is such an unnatural way of thinking. It's a supernatural way of thinking. And you can only do this if you've received the grace of God. Thinking can be a battle. Uh, does anybody t- tell me this is a battle? Uh, my wife don't deserve it. <laughs> Please. Uh, my boss don't deserve it. My friend doesn't deserve it. You don't know what they did because it it's true. But the greater truth, what's the greater truth that causes every other one to bow? The scriptures actually talk about um, a spiritual battle that we face. It's not flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. And when it talks about a stronghold, do you know what a stronghold is? you know what he's saying? He's saying a stronghold is actually the lie that we believe. And when there's a lie that we believe, it's so subtle yet so profound that the enemy actually builds up a camp, builds up a fort, that it gets strong. 
And many of the, the lies that we believe, we are not even aware of what we believe because, because it has come as an angel of light. It has come as something that seemed so right and felt so good. But it wasn't Christ first. It wasn't him above all. But it sure did feel right because they did me so wrong. Strongholds can be a philosophical system in our lives. I mean, hedonism, all life is to have fun. Anybody want to live like that? I do. <laughs> it's all about the fun. Any, any of us social butterflies is like, it's all fun and games. But you live out of balance. And you're not sober-minded. It becomes the prison of our life. Materialism. All that matters is making money and getting what I need. Getting what I want. The material things of life. Secularism. It's all about me and I'm the center of the universe and y'all all are here to serve me. You think about it, like a lot of my days I wake up and like this life serves me, man. I'm at the center of the game. Personal strongholds, maybe. It can be lies that we hold on to about God and others. God doesn't love me because of my past. I know better than God, actually. I know what he should be doing. Anybody else know what God should be doing? I do. Gosh, if he could just get on my, on my page. I'm never going to forgive that person. I'm never going to forget it. The hurt was so real, and it's so right to feel that way. Justify. Or maybe I can never forgive myself. A spiritual stronghold is holding on to the lie that you're, good, you're a good person and that God should or better bless you because of it. Oh, you deserve it. I mean, don't, 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 doesn't he know what all that you're doing for him, by the way? All y'all serving at the church down here, working on Saturdays and tearing down after church. Don't God see what you're doing? You might say, I'm a better Christian because I go to church or attend a prayer meeting or go to life group. I'm better. I'm doing good. Don't step into the system of the world, my friend. Don't step. A healthy mind is to be recognized that these are strongholds and you can demolish them through Christ, through the main uh, truth, keeping it the king truth. What is the king truth in your life? Is Christ king in your life right now? And every, every one of our lives, guys, every one of your lives, don't get it twisted. God, Christ might not be king of some area. And every, every aspect of our life, we're moving, we're transitioning, we're transforming by renewing the way we think. And we're bringing all those things. Oh, oh, thank you, God. I see that now. Oh, God, I, I didn't realize this wasn't about you. Oh, God, you can have this too. You're that good. I'm going to bring my body as a living sacrifice. Oh, I didn't realize that part of my body wasn't yours yet. You can have every bit of it. Thank you for showing me. And you live this life of grace for yourself versus the life of guilt and shame and say, man, couldn't do it good enough. You'll never do it good enough. If it wasn't for the grace of God, each of us would be struck and stuck captive. No hope of escape. Do you understand this? If we didn't have the main truth, you would be stuck to your passions. There is no way out, actually. But the gospel has been this dynamite thing that actually breaks us out, breaks us out of captivity. The story of God's love for you is dynamite.
to break you out of the mental strongholds that many of us sit in today. And I'm just praying uh, freedom over the way we think today. That Christ would bring it into captivity as we walk and as we bring our thoughts captive. That's what uh, 2 Corinthians 10 says. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. It means we, hold on, that felt right, but is it right? There's a story that I heard uh, the other day, and it's, it's one of my favorite stories I've ever heard in all of my life. And in uh, the 1800s, do you know how many uh, slaves there were in the 1800s? There was 25 million slaves in the world. Do you know how many slaves there are today? 27 million in the world. Slavery is alive and well. Do you know how much a slave cost in 1800? $130. That was the average. Do you know how much a slave costs today? $140. That's the average. $10 of inflation. We got more of them, so it's cheaper. Some things haven't changed at all. They've just changed in this country a little bit, but maybe packaged a little bit different. But in the 1800s, um, slavery was alive and well. And there was one particular man who would travel around to slave auctions and uh, it was like a calling for him. And he would purchase uh, the slave girls, the young ones. And if you look at the stats, the young slave girls in that day, most of them uh, did not even reach the age of 12 because of some of the life circumstances that they had. Real pain. Some of that pain is still even today as 27 million slaves around the world uh, still exist. The majority still being young girls. But this man, it was his mission to travel around to these slave auctions and purchase these girls. And on one particular occasion, uh, he's bidding on this little slave girl and she, she can't be uh, eight years old. And he's bidding and he's bidding and he's bidding and he wins the bid. And they're walking away from the slave block. And he looks at her, he turns back and he says, hey, you're free. With astonishment, she looks at him and She's heard about freedom before from other people, but it was like a tale. It was like something she could never have experienced. So when she heard that she was free, it welled something up within her and she couldn't quite put words to it, but she looked at him and she says, free? He said, yeah, free. What do you mean? I mean, you're, you're free. But tears begin to well up in her eyes as she considers what freedom looks like and what it could mean for her. And she begins to imagine what life could be because she couldn't have ever thought that it was for her. And she looks at him and she says, you mean I can, I can say anything that I want to say? He said, you can say anything that you want to say. You mean I, I, can, I, can, be, I can be what I want to be? You can be what you want to be. You mean, I can get the job that I want to get. I can, I can do it. You, you can get the job you want to get. You, you're telling me I can go anywhere that I want to go. He says, baby girl, you can go anywhere that you want to go. She looks at him with tears in her eyes and she says, then, then I want to go with you. 
You see, true freedom, true grace compels you toward it. Like you don't want to run from it, you want to run into it. Like I don't want to get away from it, I got to be a part of it. And I don't know what your experience of grace has been. I don't know what your experience of Jesus has been. But the free gift of grace, the free gift of God is eternal life. And when you come to him, he says, you can have it for free. You people, wait, no strings attached? No strings attached. You mean you don't want anything from me? Like, what do you want from me? It's a free gift, man. And when you receive grace like that, when you receive the good, free gift of God like that, here's what it begins to do within you. It begins to transform you from the inside out. If you're looking to transform your life from the outside in, you are doing it wrong. You cannot do that. The dynamite gospel is that he came for you and he loved you right where you sit today, right how he made you today. There's only one of you and he made you. He loved you. Come to him, friend, and receive the good news that he loved you. Take his love for you. And it will transform everywhere you go, everything you see, everything you talk to. It transforms your life. This is the free gift of God. Let that transform the way we think and let it compel you to actually want to reshape your mind. To see yourself through that light. If he hadn't bought you, I'd still be a slave. And if he hadn't freed me, I wouldn't understand that life for other people, that that's where they stand. And what they need from me is, oh, man, I'll bid on it. I want to give them what I got. Oh, God, awaken us. God, awaken us to how good you are. God, awaken some of us in the room today from uh, the, the sleep that we've been in, the loss, the miss. God, the, the truth that seems so right, but oh, was so wrong. And God, our lives are not transforming and people around us are not changing because God, I haven't received the truth. I have not brought everything else under submission to you and said, it's all about you. I live in thanks for you. It's all about me. God, we, I just say that I'm sorry in those spaces. God, continue to reveal those to me because I got them. And I say, thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, bring uh, the heart of stone in the room uh, to a heart of flesh and allow us to thank you. Allow us to adore you today. Allow us to praise you today because you are so much greater than we are and you've set us free and it's good news and it's dynamite for our soul. God, I pray that it would blow some of us up today. I pray that it would break apart the earth the, 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 the chains and the walls that have bound us up, that have told us that I wasn't worth it, that I can't do anything, that I can't make a difference. God, you actually designed us to be different. You want to blow that up. Awaken us now by the power of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? And if you need prayer during this song, I'm going to be here. I'd love to pray with you.